Just a heads up, this podcast includes language and audio that some listeners might find offensive or disturbing. I am so disappointed in the state of Minnesota. My son loved this state. He had one tattoo on his body, and it was of the Twin Cities, the state of Minnesota with TC on it. My son loved this city, and this city killed my son, and the murderer gets away. That's the voice of Valerie Castile. She's Philando Castile's mom. Her son was shot and killed by a police officer during a traffic stop in 2016. He was 32 years old. Last week, a Minnesota jury acquitted Jeronimo Yanez, the 29-year-old Latino officer involved in the shooting. Here's his defense attorney, Tom Kelly. It's a, it's a tragedy all the way around. We're very satisfied in the verdict. The jury considered this thoroughly. It was thoroughly litigated fairly litigated and fairly defended. You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. On this week's episode, we're revisiting the case of Philando Castillo. We'll talk with someone who's been covering this case since the very beginning. We revisit a conversation we had about Castillo's long history of being stopped by the police while driving. And we'll end with someone who knew Philando Castillo and has taken his anger over this incident out to the streets and into the halls of government. But let's back up. Last summer, Philando Castillo was driving home with groceries. His girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter were in the car when he was pulled over near a small town called Falcon Heights, Minnesota. The officer who stopped him thought he fit the description of a robbery suspect who had, quote, a wide set nose. Now, the accounts of what happened after that initial stop diverge. Officer Yanez says he opened fire on Castile because he thought Castile was reaching for his gun and he feared for his life. Castile's girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, started live streaming on Facebook almost immediately after those shots were fired. And here's some of that audio. He's licensed. He's carried. To, he's licensed to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um, pocket. And he let the officer know that he was... He had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet and the officer just shot him in his arm. We're waiting for a back. I will, sir. No worries. I will. During the trial, Diamond Reynolds reiterated that Castile was reaching for his driver's license, not a gun. Regardless, the jury did not convict Officer Yanez. One juror, Bonita Schultz, said they just couldn't be sure if Castile was reaching for a gun or not. We reached out to the police department in St. Anthony Village, that's where Officer Yana's worked, to talk about the outcome of the trial. They pointed us to a statement on the city's website that says, quote, The city of St. Anthony has concluded that the public will be best served if Officer Yanez is no longer a police officer in our city. The city intends to offer Officer Yanez a voluntary separation agreement to help him transition to another career other than being a St. Anthony officer. Now, according to the statement, how that will all go down is still being negotiated. I'm Reham Fashir. I'm a reporter with Minnesota Public Radio and a co-host of the 74 Seconds podcast. 74 seconds passed between the time Officer Yanez turned on his police lights to pull over Philando Castile and then fired seven shots, killing him. Reham Fashir's podcast examines that 74 seconds and everything that came after. Reham, can you take us into the courtroom on the day the verdict was read? Take us into that moment. I was sitting in the fourth row behind Officer Yanez and his family. So I was sitting on one side and the Castile family was sitting on the other side. So everything was quiet and the judge had ordered everyone to stay in their seat. No one was allowed to leave until the hearing was over. But as soon as Valerie Castile heard 
um, not guilty on the third count, she got up and she yelled, F this, and got out of the courtroom. Everybody else followed her from that side. And then there were also a lot of emotions on the other side, on Yana's side. The lawyers were hugging and congratulating the family. They were thanking them. And he was free to go after that. And then we ran into uh, the Castile family outside giving their statement. Did anyone find Yanez's family after the verdict? Or did they try to? Well, we tried to reach them. But no, we couldn't find them. They didn't want to say anything. They didn't want to comment. What was the makeup of the jury like? It was uh, 12 people, Mm. five men and seven women. And two of them are black. Mm -hmm. One is an 18-year-old woman born in Ethiopia who came to the U.S. as a child. And the other one is an African-American man who identified himself as a millennial. Mm. Most of them aren't talking to us. One of them we caught up with afterwards. And he said that two of the jurors were leaning toward a guilty verdict. Mm. But we don't know which of the jurors were leaning towards that guilty verdict. But we do know, according to that juror, that it was not split along racial lines. So what have the activists said uh, that they're going to do now? Well, they're planning more gatherings. Um, There will likely be more protests. They promised more. But we don't know exactly what uh, sort of gatherings are going to happen. Um, there are community meetings happening around St. Paul and St. Anthony. So the conversations will continue. The conversations will continue to happen on what needs to change to improve police-community relations. When we talk about community reaction, uh, there's been a lot of talk in the news about the protesters. Has there been community reaction in support of the verdict? Well... It's not as visible as the reaction we've seen from protesters, but at least I've seen um, social media posts supportive of Officer Yanez and his family. There was kind of a a small campaign, a smaller campaign than the Philando campaign on social media called I Stand With 151, which is Officer Yanez's badge number. Hmm. One of the jurors said something about the way the law was written is what didn't allow them to convict the officer. And what does that mean, the way the law was written didn't allow them to convict this officer? It's really complicated just because they had to consider a couple of different laws, even though the charges were the manslaughter law. But in a manslaughter case, culpable negligence is the deciding factor. So in Minnesota, state law justifies an officer's use of deadly force to protect the police officer or another from apparent death or great bodily harm. And then the manslaughter law says a person is culpably negligent if they create an unreasonable risk. So because state law gives officers discretion in the use of deadly force, some jurors can be reluctant to convict a police officer or even find them guilty of the other charge, which is the manslaughter law or the culpable negligence standard. You are co-hosting this podcast, which has looked at what happened on July 2016, that traffic stop that ended with the death of Philando Castile and then the trial of Jeronimo Yanez. I mean, are you going to keep following the story? Yeah, we're, we're following the story. There is more to say. There are more angles to explore. Which angles are there still to explore? Uh, One issue that came up is the permit to carry a gun. Mm -hmm. So we're exploring that angle, what it's like for black drivers who are gun owners and who are legally licensed to carry guns. One of the things that was interesting about that element of the case was that 
this did not become a story about gun rights in a way that you might imagine another story in which a police officer shot someone who had legal paperwork that allowed them to carry a gun, in which they might rally around someone like that. Right. We haven't heard a lot from the NRA about about this case. We're also interested in exploring the use of force law to talk about when activists and when protesters are looking for prosecution and they're looking for police officers to be held accountable. But at the same time, if the use of force law and the laws are always going to be in the same language that they're written, then we just don't think that um, it'll be easy to make any change happen. Are you saying that it's difficult to fix these things on the back end? Like you'd have to rethink the ways and the circumstances under which we allow police to use force to begin with? That's exactly what I was trying to say is that there are groups of people who are trying to lobby the legislature along with the pressure that's happening on the streets. Reham Fashir is a reporter for Minnesota Public Radio and the co-host of the 74 Seconds podcast. She's been covering the Hieronimo Yanez trial since the beginning. Thank you so much, Reham. Thank you. After the break, we talked to a former co-worker of Philando Castile's. He told us this story is definitely not over for him. I am activated and I'm ready to put my feet to the ground, man, and make sure that there is never another Philando Castile not here in this state on my watch. Stay with us. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. Ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. Get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping, by visiting blueapron.com slash codeswitch. This week, Invisibilia, the show about the invisible forces that shape human behavior, is looking at the biased concepts in our head and whether it's possible to change them. You'll meet the people who designed the Implicit Associations Test, a support group in Southern California called Racist Anonymous, and a young black police officer trying to train his fellow officers and himself to combat prejudice. You can listen to Invisibilia in the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Last summer, Jean, you checked in with our colleagues Cheryl Corley and Ader Peralta mm-hmm. to learn more about Philando Castile's encounters with law enforcement before those final 74 seconds. Yeah, and Cheryl and Ader did some digging into police records and found that the police in the Twin Cities area had stopped Philando Castile dozens of times since he began driving. Here's Ader. So you might hear me flipping papers because I have a, a like a you know 28-page timeline here. <sighs> Um, and it's just, it's stop after stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first one goes back to uh, the day before his 19th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, he stopped. We don't actually know why he stopped. It doesn't we know say it's why. Not, it doesn't say why. It's We know it's not a, a moving violation. So mm-hmm. nothing obvious that you could tell from outside a car, like okay. speeding or, you know, running through a stoplight. Um, but then he just seems to go through these cycles, right, where there's just fine after fine after fine stop after stop after stop and in total it's 46 of them and and only six of them are actually for something you would notice from outside the vehicle is the way i've been describing it so the other 40 of them they don't have an explanation they do have an explanation and it's mostly 
because he's driving with a suspended license mm-hmm. or he's driving without insurance. But that's stuff you would find after you stopped them. After you stopped them. Right. right. And we, so we don't have an explanation as to why he was stopped so many times. But yeah, I mean, just to give you an idea, though, he stopped on January 8th, 2003. They stop him again on February 3rd, then again on February 12th, and again on February 26th, and so again like on March 4th. Once every couple of weeks. There's there's at least one long two-year period where he's paying, you know, sometimes more than $500 a month. Wow. Consistently, and he gets his license back, and he has he's no just paying stops. off the fines. Right. So, so there's like a, there's like a two-year period where he's just paying fines and not getting stopped, and he has his license. But basically, Philando Castile was stopped from the very moment he got his license mm. through the moment of his death, right? Mm-hmm. That was his last stop. Here's Cheryl and Ader explaining a little bit about where he was stopped that last time. And we should say, it's an area that has a reputation among Black folks in the Twin Cities as a place they should be wary of because of the police. Well, you have St. Paul, the city proper, Twin City, along with uh, Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And then you have a ring of suburbs around it. And Larpenter Street kind of separates many of the suburbs from St. Paul. Castile got stopped on Larpenter and Fry in a suburb called Falcon Heights. Falcon Heights is patrolled by another suburb's police department, St. Anthony. So so the St. Anthony police patrol about three suburban areas. Half of the people... Um, that their police department arrests are black. Mm-hmm. But but blacks only make up 7% of the patrol area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they acknowledge that, that this is a problem, mm-hmm. but it's complex and they don't quite uh, get into how they're trying to fix it. Now, we spoke to someone who really wants to fix things. His name is John Thompson. He knew Philando Castile for more than a decade. They both worked together in the St. Paul Public School District. Thompson told us that Castile's death spurred him to become more outspoken in their community. John, were you in the courtroom when the verdict was read? Yeah, I was in there. Actually, I closed my eyes and actually we held hands and we said a little silent prayer. And I closed my eyes when they read the verdict and they said, not guilty, on the first charge, and I instantly said, oh, yeah, well, they must get him on the, the, the lesser charge. Mm-hmm. And they said not guilty on the other charge, and I never thought I'd see it happen live in my face, and let alone be somebody who I was so close to. So you, you mentioned you never seen something like this up close, especially with somebody that you were so close to. So how did you, how did you meet Philando? I repair a lot of nutrition service equipment for St. Paul Public Schools. And maybe two years before me, he was just a cafeteria server. He just was serving kids. And in passing, I would always talk to Philando because we are very few uh, African-American men that work in the St. Paul Public Schools, uh, especially nutrition services. It just, just It's not a lot of diversity like that for African-American men. So over the years, you know, we just grew a bond. What was Philando Castillo like? <laughs> you know what, man? Actually, when I first met Philando, I thought he was a nerd. <laughs> Why? Because he had those Mr. Peabody glasses <laughs> and the way he talked. But his but his demeanor was so calm. I had the glasses confused with the person he really was. He really wasn't a nerd at all. 
You asked me what type of person Philando was. Honestly, man, I talked to Philando on the 4th of July, 2016. I asked Philando, you know, what school you working at? Are you working this summer? Because I hadn't seen him. So I was wondering if he was working at the summer school. And he said, I'm working at a school here in St. Paul called Chelsea Heights. And I said, Philando, why are you working this summer? Because in his position, they get summer pay. He said, no, I'm working this summer because I love the kids. Get the hell out of here, man. You love the kids. And he says to me, man, I love everybody. And those are the last words I heard my friends say. That's the last time I heard them talk. <laughs> and he meant that. And I was... <laughs> me with that mess he was like no for real man I love everybody and then I seen him again on the 6th of July he was breathing so hard taking his last breath so I saw him on Facebook say he wasn't reaching for his gun how has all this changed you John oh, man I've been at Almost every legislative session meeting I could possibly go to trying to get them to hear me. You have to change the laws here that allows officers to get away with this type of behavior. We got to change the law. My friend was a martyr here, man. Like, God put him here. Philando's job is well done. We just got to keep the momentum going here in Minnesota. So that's what I do. I mean, I've, I've, I've actually thought about the city council run. I, I started a organization where I do a lot of speaking engagements and I try to talk about racial equity. I try to talk about police brutality. And I just put my feet to the ground and step on the gas, man. I, I have to. I am activated. And I'm ready to put my feet to the ground, man, and make sure that there's never another Philando Castile not here in this state on my watch. Um, did you and Philando ever talk about all his traffic stops over the years, his many, many, many runs in, run-ins with the police? No, I never talked about Philando's traffic stops. As a matter of fact, I had no idea that Philando was stopped that many times. Mm-hmm. What I did know is that that stretch of Larpenter that Philando got killed, we used to call that the sundown town, man. Black people don't go down Larpenter at that time of night because they're always profiling and, and harassing us, man, just harassing us. Philando just, he, this time he didn't he didn't get a ticket. You know, he was he was tried, convicted, sentenced right there in his car. And his car was his casket. I mean, we all get this. A lot of black men get this talk when we're growing up. Right. The, the talk about policing, about how we're supposed to interact with the police. You have an eight year old son. What will you say to him about what's going on in the Twin Cities? and around the country as it pertains to police shootings, if you haven't had this conversation with him already. I just had the hardest conversation with my son on Friday when he told me that he hates the police. And I've just heard the verdict. He's heard the verdict. And my son's looking at me, and I don't know how to explain these emotions to my son. I had to explain to him about police officers that I know. And explain to him about police. And I actually wanted to call some of the officers that I know and bring them into this conversation because I'm so emotional about the verdict. When I tell them, don't hate the cops, 
it feel like it's almost like I'm explaining something that's false, like I'm lying to my kid because they do a very poor job of not making my son think otherwise. You know? So you're trying to convince him of something that is running counter to what he's seeing. Right. Everything I tell him, there's something else that happened, and that'll take everything I tell him and just throw it right out of the window. This this verdict was just like, it's hard. It's hard, man. It's just, it's hard. Even going to work, it's hard talking to people at work, but I have to, man. John Thompson is an activist in Minnesota. He was a friend of Philando Castile. Thank you for talking to us, John. Thank you, brother, for having me. The Minnesota governor is scheduling meetings with black leaders to talk about policing and the aftermath of the verdict. The Castile family says they plan to sue in federal court. And just before our episode dropped, the dash cam of the police stop was released. A warning. We're going to play some of it, and it's very disturbing. You can hear Philando Castile saying, Sir, I have to tell you, I do have a firearm on me. Yana's is responding, Okay, don't reach for it then. Don't pull it out. Castile says, I'm not pulling it out. And then... Don't pull it out. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever podcasts can be found or streamed. Leah Danella, Maria Paz Gutierrez, and Walter Ray Watson produced this episode. We had original music by Ramteen Arablui. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team. Kat Chow, Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby-Bates. Our intern is Aleli Mae Vuelta. Our editors are Sammy Yenigan and Steve Drummond. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. Be easy. Peace.